following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. People who pray like that, who pray with great power and effectiveness, and uh, that's what I hope we can uh, talk about this morning and resolve to do. And last week we looked a little bit at the story uh, that prayer is essentially a two-way conversation with God, and that Elijah uh, understood the relationship between prayer and the sovereign will of God. Uh, we learned that God will never answer prayers that are not within the scope of his sovereign will. So if we want to be effective in seeing our prayers answered, we need to know how to pray in line with God's purpose and will. Um, we also learned, and Elijah knew, that God accomplishes will in and through the prayers of his people. Right? So it looks like this. God cannot work apart from his will but he will also not work apart from our prayers, as we talked about last week. God cannot work apart from his will, but he will not work apart from our prayers. And so our prayers become powerful and effective when we learn to pray God's will. And God works through that. Um, going back to James, uh, James says that the, the powerful prayer is, is the work of a righteous person. Right? And uh, a lot of books written on prayer talk about how to pray. And there are certainly things that are significant and important about how we pray. We're not going to really talk about that so much this morning. I want to talk about what it means to be the kind of person who sees prayer answered. James says that it's the, it's the effective prayers of a righteous person that God hears. Elijah was a certain kind of person. He was the kind of person that when he prayed, God listened to his voice. And I believe that uh, effective prayer really begins with who we are as a person far more than what we actually say or pray. It's vitally important what kind of person we are. Now, uh, is anybody here righteous? <laughs> Dangerous question. You know, how do I answer that one, right? Um, through Christ, praise God, and we just celebrated in communion, right? We just celebrated, and Ed just read a great passage that talks about that. Through Christ, we are made righteous, right? I'm not righteous in myself, but through the work that Jesus did on the cross, and when I put my faith and trust in Him, I am made right with God. That's one of the meanings of the word righteous. I am made in a right standing in relationship with God. I stand before Him perfect and holy, not on my own holiness or goodness, but in the, the goodness of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of Him. Right? So all of us, if we have put our faith in Christ, if we're believers, if we're followers of Christ, we are righteous. Uh, and that certainly is a requirement for powerful and effective prayer. Um, the statistics say that over 90% of people in the world, over 90% of the people pray. Right? Almost Virtually almost everybody prays. There's a few holdouts, you know. But virtually everybody prays. But uh, very few pray with power and effectiveness, like Elijah. Uh, and the reason is that, uh, first step, we have to be in Christ. Right? We have to have that kind of righteousness. But the word righteousness also has another meaning, and it means people who do the right thing. 
we can be righteous in Christ and still live a life that does not often do the right thing. Or we can sin. We can make mistakes. We can have a lifestyle that's not really pleasing to God. Well, I think effective prayer comes from people whose lives are not only righteous in Christ, but who are actively daily doing the right kinds of things in their life. Their life uh, is pleasing to God. And thus God hears their voice uh, and listens to them. So uh, we want to look at what it was about Elijah's life and what would be true about our life that would make us a righteous person, the kind of person for whom prayer would be powerful and effective. Um, if you, any of you have read back in about the late 80s, a, a book came out called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I don't know if anybody's read that. You don't have to confess it here. Um, so it's a good book. It has some good general principles. And the, kind of, the idea of the book is uh, there, are, there are certain kinds of people who are very successful. But what he noticed is that these people did not become successful by trying to be successful. It wasn't that they set out and they spent all of their time on success. Rather, he found that they spent a great deal of time and energy developing certain lifestyle habits that then made them the kind of people who were naturally successful. And he identifies seven traits. Interestingly, some of those will be quite the opposite of what I'm going to talk about this morning. Um, but the idea is true, and, and I want to steal his idea, that I think there are some habits, on, there might be seven, there's probably more, I didn't pick a number, but there are habits of highly effective prayer warriors. There are certain things that we will, habits we will develop in our life that we will work on that will make us then powerful and effective in prayer. Um, it's like any great musician or athlete. Uh, they don't become great at their sport or at their instrument uh, simply by uh, playing the game a lot or by going out and playing concertos a lot, right? They develop disciplines like practice. And the musician sits down and they play scales, right? Scales are not music, right, John? Not music. But they're essential if you want to play music, right? Well, it's kind of how it is with us in our prayer life. You want to be powerful and effective in prayer. There are certain disciplines and habits you must cultivate in your life. And we see these clearly in the life of, of Elijah. Um, when we work at practicing daily vital and strategic disciplines, the result will be a kind of life that is effective in prayer. Uh, so I want to look at these. Uh, I came up with at least eight. Today I have time to talk about four there's probably 50 in Scripture. Okay, I'll let you dig up the rest. But let me start with a few disciplines that I think make us effective in prayer. Uh, and let's look at uh, 1 Kings 17. If you have your Bibles, I want to turn there. Um, starting in verse 2, it says this, And the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, and said, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Carrot, that is east of the Jordan. First thing that's very true about Elijah and all the prophets is that he knew how to listen to God. Remember we said prayer is two-way, uh, a two-way conversation. Prayer is not just us talking. It is God speaking. And in this conversation, believe it or not, 
What God has to say is vastly more important than what you have to say. Okay, I know it's hard to imagine because what we have to say is so pressing and important. But in this conversation, God actually has important and vital things to say. And that was true for Elijah. And Elijah was tuned in and listening to the voice of God throughout his life and throughout his story, which is true of the prophets in general. They were people who listened to the word of God and either communicated what God said or did what God told them to do. Uh, and, and the word came to him often, and he was paying attention to it. Um, this raises some issues about how God speaks. And before we go on and talk about how we listen, it's important to identify some key ways that God speaks. And we'll do this real briefly because we should know this, but just to review. Um, God speaks primarily through two sources. Now, he speaks a lot of ways, but primarily the main ways that he speaks is through two sources, through the Holy Spirit and through his word, his written word, the scripture. Uh, speaking through the Holy Spirit, um, God, God ha- does have things to say, and he's actually quite verbal. Right? I love that the, the Jesus, the second person of the Trinity in John, is called the word. In the beginning was the word. God is a God who speaks, who communicates. And he, uh, in our lives and in his operation with the word, with, with, with us on earth, he speaks through his spirit. Uh, how does he do that? Well, uh, that in itself is a whole sermon and a whole topic. Um, but he speaks in ways that are not audible to our physical ears. Right? Very rarely, some, it does happen at times, but very rarely does God speak audibly. But he does speak in real ways. He communicates with real words and in real language. But he does it to our spiritual ears or to our heart. Uh, scripture says that his spirit bears witness with our spirit. Somewhere in the depths of my being, however this works, the Holy Spirit can communicate in direct ways with our hearts. Um, it comes in, in thoughts and feelings and ideas that, that come into our mind uh, and that are clear, clearly represented as ideas and thoughts and words. Now, one of the dangers or problems of this kind of communication is that if you're like me, which hopefully you're not, but if you're like me, your voice, your head is full of lots of voices, right? There's the voice of your parents, and it doesn't matter how old you are, there's still the voice of your parents saying, you know, eat your spinach, right? Uh, there, there are the voice of society and culture around us. There's the voice of our own conscience. There's the voice of our own um, dysfunctional thinking, right? And sometimes it's hard to know how to distinguish God's voice from all those other voices. Uh, this would be it would be a topic for a whole sermon I'm not going to go into. But let me just say briefly, we, we ultimately distinguish God's voice from all those other voices by its weight and authority. God speaks with a distinct truthfulness about himself. Right? God speaks with a weight and conviction that's hard to avoid. Right, for people who want to hear God's voice and are tuned in, his words are weighty and bring conviction. They bring a sense of urgency and authority and truth. Right? Now, he comes and he speaks in our, in our soul as a still, small voice, a whisper. And it's a voice that can be ignored. You can, you can turn off that voice. Right? 
But for those of us who are interested in it, who want to tune into it, it has great weight and authority. And I would say my experience has been that when God speaks in my heart, even if I sometimes don't really want to hear what he has to say, it's, in, it's inescapable, right? His voice is inescapable. And I, on many occasions, I've woke up in the middle of the night because I had put off his voice all day long, and at two in the morning, it screams out in my head. So uh, God does speak to us, but it's it's a bit risky and it's a bit challenging, especially when we first are walking in this path of listening to God, uh, because it can get very confused and muddled with many other voices. So God has also given us a very special gift of his written word, uh, where it's not so uh, subjective. It's very clear and objective, where God has written down for us exactly what he wants to communicate through Scripture. Uh, By the way, the written word came as the Holy Spirit spoke to very godly people, and they just wrote down what God spoke to them. So it's not like the Holy Spirit speaking in God's word or somehow two different things. It's the same thing. It's just godly men who, who, who understood how to hear his voice and were very anointed by the Spirit heard what God spoke to them, and they wrote it down and recorded it. Guys like Elijah, who heard the word, and it was proclaimed and professed and written down. And we have the benefit of their experience. We get to tap into their conversation with God and what God spoke and revealed to them. Um, God's word and God's spirit always work together, right? Uh, you cannot understand the written word without the teaching and illuminating uh, work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, likewise, uh, I think it's, it's a good rule to say that we can't really understand what the Holy Spirit is saying in our heart apart from Scripture. And that's how we guard and check one of uh, the ways we test what's really God's voice. So, if uh, you hear this word from God, right? God says to you, move to Alaska and be a missionary, right? And you're going, but I like Thailand. It's tropical. It's warm. It's freezing cold in Alaska. But you just feel God speaking that word to you, right? All right? And he, he wants you to go there because he wants because there's gold there, and he wants you to become filthy rich, right? And he says, that's God's will for you, right? To be super wealthy. And uh, you start reading Scripture, and you check that against Scripture, Right? Go through Scripture, and nowhere does it say anything about Alaska. So you go, oh, shucks, you know. Uh, don't know what to do with that. Now, there are some passages about snow and killing lions and stuff like that, but not a lot of guidance there. So you go to the second part of your vision, and you, and you start searching through Scripture about what it says about accumulating wealth and greed, and you're going, hmm, maybe that wasn't from God, right? Because I read a lot of Scriptures talking about giving money away, not, not necessarily pursuing wealth, right? And I don't think God's calling me to Alaska to, to strike it rich and find gold, right? Uh, so we use Scripture. It's a, it's a hypothetical example, by the way. You know, so, uh, We use Scripture to test the word that we feel that God's speaking to our hearts. So those things go together in tandem, the, the word and Scripture. Um, and, and, and therefore, let me... Let, Let's put, make a picture of this. So if we want to hear God speak to us, we want to listen to his word, it means the more time we spend in the word, 
the better we come, we become at hearing what His Spirit speaks to our hearts. Okay? Right? The more time we spend in Scripture, the better we get at, at being tuned in to what the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. Uh, a lot of you have learned or are learning Thai. Many of you have learned other languages. Some of you really brilliant people speak four or five or seven. I speak like half of one and three quarters of another. Uh, English being the one I speak three quarters of, right? Um, and English is an in- language is an interesting phenomenon, right? And uh, if if you are a first time language learner, you get the idea that language is simply memorizing a dictionary. And if I have this list of words in, in English, say, and I have this list of words in Thai, and I find the correlating words, I'll be able to speak Thai. Does that work? <laughs> so you can tell the ones who are studying Thai, because they all laughed. Right? That does not work, does it? Right? Learning a language is way more than that. Uh, you actually have to learn and, uh, and, and understand how words are used in a culture, right? within a given context. And so it's, it's, you got to do the hard work of memorizing those lists of words, but you also have to observe and see and experience how those words work in culture. One of my favorite examples of this in Thai is the word grengjai. Those of you who speak Thai will get this illustration. The rest of you will just go over your head. Sorry. Uh, grengjai is a very interesting word. It has a dictionary definition. But if you only understand the dictionary definition, you won't have a clue what the word means because it will be senseless to you. You'll read the definition, and it will make no sense, right? Uh, likewise, if you go out into culture, you'll see this all the time. People will tell you, that you'll offer your help, and they'll say, no, I don't want your help because I'm feeling grengjai, right? Now, if you see it in culture and you don't know the word or the concept, you'll just think Thai people are rude, right, or just are kind of stubborn, right? But when you understand the definition of the word and you experience it in culture and those two things come together, it's like, whoa, I get it now. I know what Grengjai is. Right? It takes both the experience in culture and an understanding of what the words mean. Put together is how language works. Right? Well, hearing and listening to God follows very much the same pattern. Right? God's given us the written word that gives us concepts and words and definitions of who God is and what He's about. But it's through the Spirit that we actually encounter and experience God personally. And we come to understand the context that those words take shape and have meaning. So, we need to spend time in the Word uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit to hear God speak to us. Um, One last thing on God speaking. Uh, I won't labor this much, but let me just say quickly that God does not speak primarily, primarily through your imagination or through dreams, or through movies, or through books, or through 10,000 other things. And uh, uh, I know there's uh, being taught right now um, a, lot of, a lot of methods for hearing God speak that involve very elaborate constructions of our imagination. Now, can God speak that way? Yes, He can. Does He? Sometimes. However, <laughs> it is not primarily how He speaks. Right? He primarily speaks through His Word, right? Through His Spirit, through His Word. So if you want to hear God speak, uh, be, be careful of strategies and methods that take you off down paths of using your imagination to imagine 
if you were, you know, with Jesus in a boat somewhere and he would talk to you, what he might say. Right? Okay. Again, God can use that. I'm not saying he can't. But but here here's a better way. Actually go to the Bible where it talks about Jesus being in the boat and get in that story and find out what Jesus actually did say in the midst of that story, right? And what he might be speaking to you through his actual words recorded in Scripture. Not just your imagination of what you wish he would have said, right? Get the distinction. Okay, enough on that. All right, so, so uh, when I'm saying it to be effective in prayer, we need to develop habits that teach us to be in the Word, but in the Word in a certain way that we are listening to and hearing God speak. And uh, I think there's two critical ways, two habits that we need to develop to do that. The first one is the habit of meditating on Scripture, meditating on the Word. Uh, if you go through history and you read uh, biographies and, and study great men of faith from, you know, from modern-day great men of faith back to Jesus and Paul, right? All of them practice meditating on Scripture. And I have yet to read a biography of somebody who was powerful in prayer who did not spend time and develop the skill and the habit of meditating on God's Word. Martin Luther, uh, Spurgeon, Calvin, uh, Augustine. Um, and I, I think you can argue J- Jesus and Paul and Peter and the disciples all practiced regular daily meditation on Scripture. Now you may say, well, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says Jesus meditated or Paul meditated. You got me there. However, uh, to be Jewish, to be a, a diligent and devout Jew, you meditated on Scripture. And it was a tradition that at least dates back and was well practiced by David, who wrote out many of his meditations. Uh, and, and so to be a Jew was to practice this regularly. And so we can be quite convinced that Jesus meditated on Scripture, that Paul meditated on the Word. Um, in fact, when we go to the Psalms, which is the great prayer book of um, of the Old Testament, um, and a, a very effective prayer book for us as well, Psalms 1 begins this way. Okay, listen to these words. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinner, or sits at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he does what? Meditates on it day uh, by day and night. Right, Day and night, he meditates. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, it prospers. Right, Very beginning of the, of the Psalms. That's interesting. The book of Psalms was edited. It was compiled. It was put together in a very strategic order. And a lot of commentators believe that that chapter 1, Psalm 1, is an instruction uh, chapter on how to use the rest of the book. Right? It's saying this is what you do with the book of Psalms. You do what? You meditate on it. Because the person who meditates on these words, who allows these words to sink deeply into their life, they are like a tree by a stream whose roots soak up the water. It's a great picture of what meditating is. Meditating is being, meditation is being planted by the water brooks of God's Word and sinking the roots of our thinking and our life deep into His Word and constantly drinking up His Word 
right? Soaking it deeply into our life, day and night meditating on it. Uh, that's the purpose and function of the of this book of prayer. It's intended to be meditated on. Um, so, what exactly is is meditation? Well, it is more than just reading, right? It's not just reading your Bible. And a lot of people at the beginning of the year uh, resolve that they're going to read through the whole Bible in a year, right? Now, I'm not saying that's a bad practice. I've done it um, uh, in more than a year. I've done it less than a year. It's, it's good. It's a good goal. However, that's not meditation. And if all you do is read through the Bible, even if you read through it in half a year, uh, you're going to be missing something vitally important in your relationship with God if you do that as a substitute for meditating. Right? Uh, meditation is not simply studying the Word. But studying is the very first step of meditation. Studying the Word is trying to read and, and look at Scripture and figure out what it means. Does anybody find parts of Scripture a little confusing? <laughs> Most of Scripture confusing, yeah. Right? I'm a preacher, and a lot of times, you know, I just think, I'm supposed to talk about this verse, I don't even know what it means at all, right? Um, there's an important place for figuring out what the Word means. And here's an important principle in meditation. You cannot meditate on Scripture if you don't understand what it means. Right? Meditation is not simply uh, putting empty, meaningless words in your head. Okay? First step of meditating is understanding exactly what those words mean. It's a message that God delivered to somebody. Okay? What did God intend when He spoke that message? Right? So... Um, so that may be the first step of meditation, but meditation is more than just study, right? You can figure out, you can know what a passage means and not be meditating on it. Uh, meditating is, is taking it a step further once you grasp a passage's meaning, or at least know in part what it means. It is taking a, a, a chunk of Scripture, and this can be from one word to a whole entire book, right? And you are reflecting on the meaning and message of that word, that passage, that verse, that chapter, that book, um, and pondering the weight and significance of it. Okay, you're pondering it. The word meditate can mean to chew something over, to ponder, right? To mutter. Or literally, one Hebrew word means to mutter, because they would memorize it and they would they would mutter it, right, over and over, right? Uh, it has the idea of chewing on it, right? Um, spending time thinking about what it means and what its significance and weight is for you. Uh, there's a, a lot of ways to do that. And again, this morning is kind of a survey. I don't have time to, to do this. There's books. There's um, articles on the Internet. Again, be, be, be careful because there's a lot of meditation that, that seeks to do meditation quite apart from the message of Scripture. Okay, that's not meditating on Scripture. Meditation on Scripture means we are taking God's Word and we are thinking about it seriously and deeply. Uh, but here's a way to perhaps start. Let me just throw some, some ideas out. Pick a passage. It could be a psalm. It could be a, another passage in the Bible that you're especially drawn to. It can be as simple as one verse like John 3.16 a whole chapter like Psalms 23 or John 15, or a whole book uh, like the book of, um, a short one like the book of Jonah, right? Maybe not the whole book of Psalms. Um, pick a, a section 
and begin by memorizing it. Right? Okay, so you're thinking now, okay, let's go for the short verse, <laughs> right? Uh, which is fine, right? Uh, memorize it. And here's the deal. It's much easier to ponder and think about something when you don't have to keep going back and reading it, right? When you get it in your head and you memorize it, it's stuck there and you can start thinking about it, right? So you can do this in a day. You can take a few or even a portion of a verse and memorize it. And in a morning, you can spend time as you've memorized those words thinking about it. Or it may take you a series of months. Right now, I've been meditating on uh, Ephesians chapter 1. It's taken me a good three months just to memorize it because it's really complicated, right? Uh, and it's a lot of work, right? So, uh, so memorize it. Secondly, take some time to study it. You memorize it and you realize there's some things in there you just don't understand. Uh, do some research, do some study, figure out what those words actually mean. Then spend considerable time reflecting on the truths of that message. Right? Uh, not analyzing what it means, you already did that work, but thinking about uh, what God may be speaking to you about that message. Okay, that's where it becomes meditation. You're saying, God, I know what it means in general. I hear these words, but I want to know specifically what you might be speaking to me in regards to this. Uh, God's Word considers things about His character, His nature, His being. It reveals things about who we are and our need for Him. It, it, it expresses to us things that we are to be doing in obedience and service to Him. Right? As you meditate through it, what is it telling you about who God is, about who you are and what God has done for you? What is it calling you to do? Uh, meditation should bring some things into our heart. It should bring conviction. Right? It should nail us about things in our life that are not right with God. Right? We know we're meditating and we're getting there when all of a sudden we feel the piercing arrow of the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin in our life. Right? It should bring gratitude as we become aware of who God is and what He has done for us. It should call us to um, worship, to a sense of awe and wonder at God's being. Right? It should fire us up about His purpose and His plans, and it should give us a vision about what He wants to do in us and through us. Right? That's what meditation does. Right? As we allow God to speak and we, we pray and say, God, what do you want me to do about what I am seeing in this word of truth. How might have this worked in Elijah's life? And I'm making things up here, okay? So take this with a grain of salt. This is not scripture. But just imagining if, if Elijah practices what this might look like. We know the story. Elijah said he prayed and it did not rain. Well, where did he get this idea from? Well, could it be that he got this concept meditating on scripture? Well, I think it's possible. Deuteronomy 11.13 says this. Uh, God is speaking. He says, If you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with your soul, He will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. He will give you grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Right? I could picture Elijah meditating on those verses 
and having um, a joy in loving God more and more with his whole heart and soul. But then it says, Take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. When, when, when Elijah lived in Israel, virtually the whole country had turned aside and was following idols. And if Elijah meditated on these verses, I can imagine it brought him great pain and conviction that he looked around and saw everywhere, everywhere around him, people worshiping Baal, offering sacrifices on altars to Baal, caught up deeply and entrenched in deep idolatry. And I'm sure it burdened his heart that the people of Israel had turned aside away from the true and living God and were following false gods. And I'm sure he prayed about that and agonized with God uh, that God would turn their hearts back. Right? And notice what it says, Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens, so there will be no rain. And the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. I can, I can just picture Elijah meditating on this and going, getting to those verses and going, yeah, God, do that, right? Cause, cause that will wake people up, right? That is your plan and your method. It's your promise that if they turn to idols, you will do this. And as Elijah meditated, he, he started to say, God, what do you want me to do about this, right? And, uh, you know, Elijah just can't make it stop raining. But God says, hey, here's the deal. You pray to me and I will stop the rain, that we can turn the people's hearts back to me. And uh, Elijah got a vision for what God wanted to do to turn the people back to himself. Um, he had a heart for loving God, a deep conviction for sin, and began to have a vision for how God would unfold his plan. Now, is that what happened? I don't know. Uh, but it seems very possible. Um, and a lot of the language that I, uh, uh, Elijah uses fits well with this passage in Deuteronomy. Um, so meditating on Scripture. Second one, I can see I'm not going to get very far because we're out of time. But second one, um, practice the discipline or the habit of obedience. Uh, Elijah did exactly what God said. Okay. Uh, it does no good to hear what God says only to ignore his voice. <laughs> In fact, I guarantee you will never be an effective prayer warrior if you do not walk in obedience to everything you know God speaks to you. In fact, you will soon no longer hear God's voice if you're not diligent and careful to obey what he says. Elijah did exactly what God said. Go out by the brook Kareth and I'm going to have ravens feed you. Elijah did not say, God, I think you've lost your marbles. God did not, uh, Elijah did not say, God, it's lonely out there. Uh, I won't have any company. And the Internet reception out there is really poor. Right? Didn't say that. He, he went out there and he trusted God. There was no food out there. There was no 7-Eleven. There's no lotus. Right? He's got to trust ravens to bring him food. Doesn't matter. He is obedient to the word. He does exactly what God says. Later, the brook dries up and God says, go to this village and find this widow lady who uh, is a Gentile and she's going to take care of you. Right? And Elijah does what the word says. Right? Develop the discipline of obedience. 
Uh, thirdly, real brief, um, he does go to the the stream. It is remote. It is desolate. There is nobody out there. He is all alone. Hearing God, meditating on his word, requires time alone. Time alone. Um, where you are out there, where it's you and God, and you're unplugged from all the electronic stuff, from all the distractions, from every other relationship, and it's just you and God. That is a discipline that our culture is quickly losing, where we now have the capacity to never be in a, a second without noise in our life. We need to learn the discipline of being alone, quiet, and still before God. We need to practice these things daily, and there's lots more we're not going to be able to get to today. There's other important disciplines of humility, of learning dependence upon God. The, the point is this. If you want to be powerful and effective in prayer, we need to be daily engaged in these kind of disciplines. Discipline of prayer. Discipline of listening prayer, where we are meditating on Scripture and attentive to His Word. Where we are diligent and intentional about obeying the things that we know God is speaking to us. Where we are walking in humility and uh, dependence upon God. Letting Him care for our needs. Let me just read again. Elijah goes to this widow. She takes him in. Kind of a humbling experience, you know. To, to be so poor that you have to have a starving widow take care of you. But he humbles himself. He puts himself under her care and really under God's care. Uh, the, the, the widow's son gets sick and dies. She blames Elijah. Elijah blames God, right? We read the story. Elijah takes the boy, puts him on his bed. And what does he do? He prays, right? He cries out to God. His prayer is quite brief. He just says simply, O oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. Amen. Right? It wasn't a long prayer. It wasn't an involved prayer. He didn't labor for hours and hours. He said one simple prayer. But notice what happens. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. Does God listen to you? Well, I think the secret is this. Uh, God listened to the voice of Elijah because Elijah listened to the voice of God. God listened to the voice of Elijah because Elijah was diligently listening to the voice of God. I believe that's the secret of prayer. One of the great secrets of the power of prayer. If you want to be the kind of person who sees great things happen in your prayer life, it will be because you are tuned in and serious about hearing God speak daily into uh, your life. And it will form and shape how you pray and give you a conviction and an authority and a faith to pray prayers that see great results. Uh, anybody want to see that happen this year? Amen. Well, let's commit ourselves to those things. And as you bow your heads... Um, several disciplines we talk about, but but maybe you need to start just by picking one. And just before God, even now, say, God, uh, what what do you want me to do, and how can I implement this in my daily life starting t- today?
how can I start being more intentional about um, meditating on Scripture or even just about taking time to pray, about developing habits in my life that make intentional obedience more more serious in how I how I get ready for my day, uh, how I allow myself to grow in humility and dependence on God. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.